0: everybody, you're listening to the Rope Podcast with Fox and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show.
1: This is a show with adult content, so if you're not of legal age where you live, then turn off now.
0: This podcast is about rope bondage. Rope bondage is edge play with inherent risk and we strongly recommend you get proper training and listen to episode zero before attempting it. Find out at the top of our Fet Life page, Rope Podcast.
1: Fox is a rigger and Maya is a bottom. We're rope partners, we've been practicing together for over four years now. And we're very excited to share our passion for rope with you from our home in Thailand.
0: Yeah, and today we're very excited to have an interview with rope power couple Wicked Dave and Clover. Uh, And the pair have just celebrated their 10th anniversary together, gotten engaged, and this year they also opened their amazing rope space, Studio Kokoro. So we wanted to talk to them about how they've evolved as a rope couple, the changes they've been through, and how they've seen the scene change in their rope journey.
1: Welcome and thanks for joining us, Clover
2: and Wicked Dave. Thanks. Um, thanks for having us. Um, already made this cringe with
1: the uh, power couple thing. But, uh... <laughs> it won't be the last time today. I was
0: excited. Yeah. I've never written rope power couple before. But it was it's a bad. great
1: phrase. <laughs> um, so how and where did you guys get interested in rope in the first place?
0: I
2: got interested in rope when I was quite young, when I was uh, 21, I think. And um, not in the way of doing the Japanese-style rope, but more as um, a thing around, you know, bondage for sex. Mm-hmm. And um, gradually, like, things came out of there. And, and at the time, I was, like, not even aware there was such a thing as a scene. But eventually, I'm showing my age here, eventually I got online and started uh, seeing uh, rope bondage stuff from around the world. And I was drawn specifically to the pictures of and Norio, who's a tremendous photographer in Japan, Um, and I think everybody's probably seen his stuff, even if they didn't know it was his stuff, and I didn't even know who he was. Um, We didn't find out until um, years later, but his stuff was really inspiring, and the thing about it was, yes, there were rope pictures, but it wasn't really about rope pictures. It was really about the expression and the experience that the model was having, and the emotional reaction that they were having in it. And um, it really hit me with, like, I want to do that. I want to cause that reaction. I want to get that response. And that, um, that really drew me into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm an engineer anyway. Um, I was educated as an engineer. All my family are engineers. But I also like art. And I've worked as a graphic designer as well. It really, like, played into everything because there was engineering in it. There was clearly a lot to understand. There was clearly a very strong artistic element. And above it all, there was a very, very strong emotional element, Mm -hmm. which um, really, like, magnetized it together because it it pulled together so many things that I was interested in. And in my aesthetic senses as well because I liked... um, Rennie MacIntosh, the Scottish architect mm-hmm. and designer, and um, I didn't know um, for a, for a long time. I just I just really liked his stuff, and until I like read about his life later, I didn't know that he had been growing up in in Scotland at a time when the Scottish ports were starting to get um, a lot of imports from Japan. And that he was seeing, though, and he was seeing artifacts from Japan which were influencing his um, kind of impressions of style. And then that was getting incorporated into his stuff. So it was, like, um, very strange to come through engineering and looking at architecture and things like that and then eventually being out in the workplace. And then one day you got a computer and you start seeing this stuff that you've never seen before and it uh, like really drew me in and was like, that's what really brought me into wanting to do the Japanese-style stuff. Um, um, there's the Western-style stuff, which you know, not pretty put it down, it was just very different. Hmm. Um, and I really wanted to go with that emotional stuff. I really wanted to be able to do that well.
1: Brilliant. And what about you, Clover?
3: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think uh, it was... So, when I first got into kink I was really interested in creating pictures. Um and I had um I don't know um so China Hamilton um the late China Hamilton um a great on yes um if you he's um, an erotic artist or was um in the UK uh became a great mentor for me and a really good friend and he used to we used to communicate a lot, and he would send me loads of pictures uh, for inspiration and stuff like that. And a lot of them were like old um, Japanese bondage illustrations. Um, and a lot of them were actually uh, Segura uh, Norio-sensei's pictures, um, although I didn't realize it was him. Um, and that was like, in, in, like the beginning of my inspiration. Um, Then after that I was in a relationship with someone before Dave um, and (laughs) my whole um, idea of rope kind of got crushed because um, Mm. we did rope and it was not very inspiring (laughs) or interesting and I found it really boring Um, and I kind of I think I lost any kind of interest in it and then when myself and Dave met, we met at uh, a lunch in Nottingham. Um, and I was in a, a that same relationship. Um, and it was an MS relationship. And he was really into, like, loaning me out to sort of, play with other people and he was like oh this guy is going to come over and tie you up and I was just like Mm. oh whatever Um, (laughs) and so then we got chatting at the munch kind of and I was just not really that interested and then Dave came (laughs) over to the house and um, tied me up because you were looking for people to practice Yeah, and it was very boring to begin with Very Um, I think at the time you were doing Celtic knots
2: I was holding myself back a lot because (laughs) Um, I was just there to practice with you and, you know, we hadn't sorted out every parameter of yeah. what we're doing. Yeah, so it
3: was really boring. And it
2: got kind of frustrating. <laughs> and then I said at the end of it, I said, do you want to do some real rope?
0: And um, I was like, yeah. And you were like, why were you giving me the fake stuff? <laughs> and then we had... Um, a
2: little bit of a session.
3: Yeah, we had a bit of a session.
2: Um, <laughs> Carpet burn on your face.
3: Yeah, I had carpet burn on my <laughs> yeah. face. It very
2: so, Business had picked up <laughs> slightly
3: by this time. Yeah. And it was like, what the hell was that? Mm. Like, I want that all the time. That was amazing. Um, so then I was very interested again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of um, my sort of journey. I was like interested. Then it felt like the reality of it was really boring. But I think it was just not like it was the people mm. and Maybe the style as well, and then we did something a bit more fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it
2: was a transformative time, I think, when we were getting together because, you know, um, it was on the pivot of where we were turning away from the past and into the future, um, and, you know, every, a lot of things changed very, very quickly in the way we were doing things. So, yeah, it was, it was a pivotal time. Like the beginning of our relationship was, I think, looking back at it, a pivotal time in both of our journeys yeah, with definitely. Ken.
3: Yeah, because mm. you just discovered mm. or rediscovered the Japanese style of Rogue, and I had kind of rediscovered it as well. Yeah. Through you.
2: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah.
3: And then after that we you got a you started a new relationship and we were just friends for a really long time. Yes,
2: we were. Um, but it did eventually come back and ruin both our relationships and then start this one. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. And then fast forward uh ten years later, you've just gone engaged. So many congratulations. Yeah.
2: Congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, In- well, but we got there.
0: <laughs> and we understand you're a power exchange couple. So, were you were you that from the start, or how did that fit into the bulk? I think it's kind of changed over the years.
3: Mm. Kind of gone back and forth because I I've gone when I before I was with Dave, I was in a really heavy MS relationship. Um, that probably wasn't the healthiest of relationships. Um, so when I moved in with Dave. I kept asking you like loads of questions, for permission for things that you were not really comfortable with. And yeah. we, had, we had that talk, like, so it was like, if you need to weed, just go weed, it's
0: fine. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, so that took a bit of uh, get like adjustment. Uh, but we had like power exchange in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think you gave me my first caning. So, you know, I had a lot of firsts with Dave. Mm-hmm. Um whereas you were a lot more experienced than me, uh, which was nice.
2: I was, and it may be a personal preference, but I felt that sometimes people went too, too rigidly DS. This is the way it is. This is the rigid um, confines of our relationship. And it's more about do you have that power exchange rather than specifically ask me every time you go to the toilet at one end of it.
3: Yeah, because I think for me, it had kind of become a habit rather than I was choosing to do something. It was like I would just ask permission every time I needed to pee rather than actually wanting to. And we had a a long conversation about that. That Dave said, every time you submit to me, every time you do something, I want it to be because you choose to, not because it's become a habit. So we broke down like a lot of habits and things and then just formed them ourselves. Yeah. Um, and I think what you just said, Dave, actually rings through for a lot of our relationship. We we didn't want to ever be rigid about anything, including rope. Yeah. We've always been quite flexible, exploring different things. It's like many times we did like Western bondage, you know, um then like bondage for sex, you know, so and I think a lot of people just see that one side of us. Yeah. Just because that's the one side we choose to show on Safe Bet Life. Yeah. Because actually we're much we have so many different aspects to who we are as people yeah. than just pictures.
2: Yeah. Um I mean yeah. I mean we've we've done like damsel in distress shoot and done it under a different name so that oh, people can really
0: not wow. Interesting.
2: Like Nobody name. knows it was me and I'm not going to tell you what the name is. <laughs> um, but I just I just like having that there that people go, Oh, Wicked Dave, all that he knows about is this Japanese style rope he doesn't know anything else and I'm like, No, you've seen my stuff and you like it. Haha. <laughs> oh,
3: Celtic not bondage, which yeah. is incredibly boring. What I can advocate
2: for that yeah yeah i mean it was a nice intellectual (laughs) exercise but it wasn't exciting road bondage that is true yeah (laughs) okay
0: and um it's (laughs) interesting (laughs) there's lots of images of Dave tying other women but when um i looked at your amazing images club i didn't see um i don't think i saw any of you tying with other people so i wondered if that was part of your dynamic or you tie with other people or you tie with other people under another name
3: (laughs) no um I do tie with other people, but mm. it's really rare, um, and that's more to do with um, anyone I do tie with, I know very well, and they're usually really good friends, mm. um, and they're the. it's not very often, I'm trying to think if there's even any for pictures, I've tied with the Silence of Beach bind, yeah. Um but like we know him quite well, mm. I trust him, and, and I think it's about trust as well, um, and it depends as well what it's for, mm. Um there's very even less people that I've done a scene with, hmm. um, and that, that would just be probably friends I would count on. Yeah. I mean,
2: for, for me, for anybody I've done anything scene like in a photo shoot, it's people we have shot with multiple times, yeah. it's people we have gotten to know over a period of time. It's never like, Hi there, my name's Dave, now we'll do it, now we'll do a scene. Yeah. Um, because you can't you can't just jump in like that. You have to take time. You have to get to know people, and you have to find yeah. that you know even if you expect there to be something, sometimes there isn't, and sometimes you just become friends, and sometimes you just do one shoot and you never see them again. And it's hard to say how it's going to go with any one individual.
1: And
3: it, it all comes down to that trust. It does, um, yeah. and you know you develop that over time.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and I think I wouldn't want to tie with anybody that might upset you, either for their skill or maybe their intentions. Yeah. Um, so we would always, both ways, would discuss with each other before we tie with anybody. Yeah. Um, so if if either of us do tie with someone, it's because we both agree that that's something that we're happy with. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's never like bilateral. There's always a mutual thing there. There's always yeah. uh, a discussion there. There's always
1: love and trust there.
3: Yeah, definitely.
1: Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really love making this podcast and sharing it with you, but your support can really help us pay for the hosting, the equipment, and other critical costs. So if you like this podcast and you want to support us, you can do so at ropepodcast.com. You'll find ways to buy rope tutorials and gear, so we get a small commission from your purchase at no extra cost to you. In addition, you could also donate to us directly on our Patreon either as a one-off amount or monthly support that can be as little as the price of a cup of coffee. If you can't afford to do that, that's okay. Just enjoy the podcast and maybe tell a kinky friend or two about it. Now back to today's episode. All right. Uh, So you guys have been in a power exchange relationship for more than 10 years. And we've been told here in Bangkok that power power exchange relationships are not supposed to last more than two years. which we did not believe in, that's why we've been together for four years on this side. Uh, how does your uh, role play between the two of you and also with other people uh, help you maintain and nurture this long-lasting relationship?
3: Mm. Ooh, that's a complicated question. Or it's like heavy, isn't it? Oh, um, yeah.
2: It is to an extent, yeah. It's...
3: I think it's like, more than anything, we, like, our relationship comes first. Before kink, before rope, before anything else, yeah. And we nurture that side of our relationship. Um, probably n- we've been better in the last most recent years mm. at that than than previously, because.
2: I think that's a really really important point. The yeah. thing is, it's a developing thing. It's not just like yeah, we are magically good at X Y and Z. We have recognized problems and we have gone, well, we're going to have to do something about this. Yeah. And we're going to have to stop and we're going to have to talk about it. and Even if it's upsetting, we're going to have to pull it apart and find out what the underlying issue is so that we can move on rather than getting bound up and just choked up with problems that accumulate over time and then just never get addressed.
3: And I think as well it's like that um, curiosity, curiosity for exploring ourselves exploring each other and then like on shoots with or with friends exploring you know them as well like it's it's just that forever curiosity and kind of understanding what's happening for the other person so we do an awful lot of like um reflection and and discussing um and with some things like with rope i think it comes quite easy to us and then with other things like you know something that might be more more difficult to talk about you know we just spend the time and and our understanding
2: yeah i'm i'm not going to pretend that's always easy you know it's not it's not always easy sometimes you really really don't want to do it
0: yeah
2: um and then you have to like kick yourself up the arse and go yeah we've got to do this we just just have to
3: and i think as well it's understanding that there's so many things to like power exchange. Like there's there's what's behind it as well, and it's very easy to look at a fat life profile or an Instagram profile and think that that's all the the people are or that yeah. dynamic. There's so much. That's just it's just the bits. So funky
2: yeah, it's yeah. just the
3: bits you choose to share, and you you you're not going to share, share the negative things. You mm. know, like we tried to you know, you, you discuss the negative things and then let them go, but you don't want to hold on to them, so yeah. you wouldn't re- necessarily put on Instagram, oh, we had a massive fight today over who was going to do the washing up or something. Mm. You know, you're not going to put that on Instagram. Yeah,
1: you you <laughs> <have> a curated <laughs> image of your relationship. Of those arguments, you know? yeah. That's a random, a random example. Yeah,
3: but yeah, like, a random example but yeah. It's kind of like, I think it's understanding as well that it's it's a difficult path. It can be a difficult path. Yeah. And I think rope can be a difficult path and, and any aspect of kink um, can be a difficult path. And just going into it, knowing that. And I think one thing we've always said to each other is mm. that we know and respect that we're human and we're going to mess up and we're going to make mistakes and we're going to hurt the other person. Mm. It may not be intentional. No. Um, and if we ever do any of those things, that we'll talk about it no. Um You know,
0: as a result, we do a lot of
2: talking. Mm. We do, more now than ever before. More now than ever before.
0: Okay. Um, So, uh, Clover, you're a a leading advocate for rope bottoms and giving rope bottoms a voice. And you are the the writer and publisher of the very well-known Rope Bottoms Guide, which I think is 13 languages right now. Um, plus English. plus English, English, so 14 English, including, including all... Thai, um, which um, Fox uh, helped you out with. Yeah. So when and why did you start um, advocating or feeling the, the need to advocate that Bottoms had a, a voice? What, what was the thing that made you start?
3: So I think um, it was years ago when I was doing a lot of vanilla modelling. I think bondage was kind of creeping into that. I think with the vanilla photographers, um, they were thinking, oh, yeah, that looks really easy, and no. we're just doing it without any training, any, any knowledge, any safety, or anything like that. Um, so my initial rope-bottom guide was written for vanilla models um, as a way of kind of giving them something to protect themselves, uh, some information, and then actually it just became really popular. Uh, with rope models and rope mm. bottoms. Um, and my first <laughs> version of it, I joke about it, that it was very dogmatic, mm-hmm. <laughs> and very much, you must do this or you are a terrible, terrible bottom. <laughs> uh, so after about six months of that being out on the internet, and then I reread it one day and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I wrote this. And then did the second edition, was, which was a bit more you know, everybody's different and, you know, circumstances might be different and you may like one thing. And it was really about this is a guide, but actually you might find something different and that's okay. Um, And then I just kind of expanded on it a few times. So mm. I think it's the fourth edition now. It's probably due an update, but if there I update it, <laughs> yeah. yeah. The tra- there's so many translations, so like, if I update it, then I have to go and get all the, them all translated, but I, yeah. I, I might end up doing that. Or, that's or
1: right, I'll do it. it. I, I, won't, I won't be mad.
3: Awesome. <laughs> so we can have an English and a Thai one at least. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, so I think that's what initially, there was nothing really out there. So um. Yeah. there's very, very few road-bottoming classes. Um or anything like that. We had, I think, at this point, we had been to America a few times, mm-hmm. which was kind of leading with um, education. Mm. But there was really very little out there. Like we went to some conferences, and mm. there was maybe sometimes there was a class on rope bottoming, but not very often. Yeah. Um, and then and you started
2: proposing them, and they yeah. started accepting them, and they um and it really expanded hugely, yeah. very, very fast.
3: And I absolutely hated teaching with a passion. I yep. hated it so much, yep. but I felt like I had to do it because it was like this, because this you gap. To, yeah, and yeah. <laughs> I was like, I need to fill this gap. Yeah. And I'd say to Dave, you better come with me. And you have to co-teach with me. And if I
2: stop talking,
3: you need to fill
1: it yeah, and I'll stuff.
2: get a chair, and I'll sit down <laughs> slightly behind and to the one side. And then I'll pipe up if there's anything like
3: Yeah, but you added some tradition. really good points. So Thank I was you. very grateful that you were there. Yeah. Um. But yeah, essentially well,
2: that's The thing is, I'm interested in it too.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, because why wouldn't I be, if you've got better informed, and better educated, uh, robot, you're going to have a better experience yeah. because everybody's going to understand what they're communicating about better. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't see that the, there's a downside to it. And I wouldn't I understand see. why anybody would be against right bottom education.
1: I don't well, as that, long as yeah. it's sensible right education. Yeah. We've seen some. <laughs> you sound like you've seen some stuff you agree with less. Maybe. We <laughs> may have.
3: I think similar it's when people come in with that very dogmatic attitude and you know this is the way yeah. when actually you you might say this is the way for me but yeah. not necessarily the way for everybody yeah. but thankfully there's not much no. of that right gotcha. um,
0: yeah so so dave how do you make sure that in your your scenes and your um, photography that your bottoms and models are empowered but you also maintain that emotional uh, top connection
2: i can know them um you have to get to know the person you're tying you can't just treat them as some um like a model is a model is a model they are all different people and you have to go with what's going to work for that person and you have to find out what's going to work for that person and you find that out by interacting with them you talk to them about it preferences, um, the experiences that they've had before, the negative as well as the positive ones, so that you know um, where some of the bad switches are. Um, Because you don't want to hit those things by accident just because you didn't know about it. You really need to try and work out how you're going with somebody. And sometimes we've had people come and they have had a dogmatic, like, I cannot do this specific thing. But sometimes we've ended up doing that specific Um, because we've discussed it and we found out that, you know, I think it was something was, if if we believe that something was a bad experience because it was done badly rather than it was something that they wouldn't like, if you do it well, they can like it. But, again, you can't just be dogmatically like, yeah, I'm great, therefore this will be great. You've got to you've got to find out what works for them, and you've got to look at their responses and, and see what's actually working with them. And, and you were saying this earlier. You've got to you've got to build up trust with them. They have to be able to trust you, mm-hmm. and that's part of what you've got to give them. You've got to give them the things that they need to be able to trust you. I think
3: definitely. And I think as well, like what you say, like for example, if someone says, I can't do a footy long one. Um, and then we'll kind of explore that with them and discuss it, and we might feel that actually, and and the, usually it's like, I can't do it, I'd really love to, but I can't do it. Um, and that's when we kind of think, yeah. it's usually when there's like some kind of a desire to do it, um, yeah. and then we'll point, yeah. work through it with them. And I think that can really empower someone if yeah. then they have a really good time doing something that they felt they could not do, yeah. or even like, when people have come and said, "I can't do suspension, um and that you know might be that I've always been told I can't do suspension mm. uh, for different reasons, and then we might say, "Well, shall we just try you know and we've always kind of yeah. told people like, especially on a shoot, yes. never ever risk anything for a picture, you know we can do something else um and I think we spend so much time I think we spend more time drinking tea and talking with people than mm-hmm. actually. Shooting, yeah. <laughs> um, the shoots are usually fairly, like, you know, they, they, they're they not hours. Like, if we have someone here for half a day, we spend probably half of that yeah. time drinking tea and just talk, t- chatting to them. If
2: it's their first time. If yeah. it's somebody that we um, move on with the intensity, we'll yeah. spend eight hours here time for six of it. So.
3: Yeah. Mm. yeah. So it kind of depends, and I think it can really change, mm. some you know, someone's view of themselves as to something more positive like when they they know that they can actually do something that they believe
0: they couldn't do can be really empowering as well yeah
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you've you've recently brought um, rope into the community in a different way by establishing the amazing studio Gakura, um mm-hmm. which I was lucky enough to visit um, last year uh, which we talked about in episode 58 so can you tell us a bit about the journey to actually get that space up and running what what made you do that how did it happen oh. Madness! Jordan I madness. <laughs> <laughs> Absolute
2: noisy I mean, it's incredible. Uh, it was great, though. It's
0: a yeah, great
3: nightmare.
2: <laughs> a, a friend of ours said, "Oh, they've got this um basement unit for rent oh, you at met the you place." Haven't. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. He said they've got this basement unit for rent. We went down into it, and it smelled. It was
3: very moldy.
2: It was yeah. it was very moldy. It was very dank. It was very short, and we did not like it. And we went, "Oh well, doesn't." That's that, and then the guy who was running the building went, "Oh, we've got another one down the end that's larger I went really okay let's let's take a look while we're here. We went in there and we looked at it, and we pondered, and then we went, "Yeah, we'll take it, and it was madness because we hadn't done any projections. We hadn't worked out how much we'd have to make for each quarter to, to make it, yeah. to make the rent or the utilities or anything. We just said, "Yes, we'll do it
0: and I think the thing is and of
2: like... the contract.
3: Yeah. yeah. Like the space where we normally would tie ourselves or even do shoots is tiny. Yeah. I don't know, when you were in the studio, the size of the tatami mats was the same size as the room mm. that we used to do oh, photos. Wow. It, so it was very, very tiny. Um, so we've always thought, oh, we'd yeah. love a bigger space for shooting um and just somewhere we could go like just to tie um
2: we've so done was, how many shoots
3: yeah <laughs> and it's always been at the back of our minds and then when we saw the space we were like oh my god yes and then we hadn't really thought it through and we were like oh my god how are we going to do this so and how will we it afford
2: was, it how will we buy the paint
3: and it was like our busiest time of the <laughs> yeah. year as well so, so it was which
2: was crazy
3: october and yeah. we were fully booked right up until December. So we didn't even start working on it until it was kind of between Christmas and January yeah. last year. So considering this time last year, considering we opened up in less than a month from yeah. now, we still hadn't even painted it. We yeah. were only just putting electricity in it. Yeah. Um. It was a month of like crazy absolutely crazy busy and thankfully we had some really awesome friends help us out who we're forever grateful to Um, and then we had so many mishaps because it was so cold and so damp that when we painted the place we hired someone to come and paint the place and when they painted it with the wrong kind of paint um so it was water-based paint so it all just literally Uh. dripped the walls and
2: the, which the floor were covered with gloss, old gloss,
3: and it wasn't cheap. No. And then we had to repaint it ourselves. Yeah, with masonry
2: hand. paint. How a masonry paintbrush. paint really worked well? Yeah.
3: <laughs> and oh my God, I thought if anyone ever tells me you've missed a spot, like they're banned. <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> we'll, we'll just kill them. When we, when we had this like high build white resin paint for the floor, yeah. and it was still tacky the day we opened. It was oh. terrible. Couldn't believe it. It was But awful. everybody
3: was so. Like, I thought we are going to get so many complaints. Yeah, everyone was really so good about it. about it. We were like,
2: just stay on the mats yeah. and off the paint and, you know.
3: And I think from the moment we opened the doors, it's just been yeah. such a, a warm community feel. Like, everybody, we've had people, you know, buy us loads of octopus things. For the
2: <laughs> we so we have many sure.
3: octopus. I'm especially yes. happy, happy about I know, you've been um, You know, voices. we've had people come, you know, just want to support and we're really bad at accepting help. Really, really bad to yes. the point. Yeah, we're just so bad, but we're getting better at it now. We're yes. like, okay, people well, want then. to help, so we're going to let them because, you know, people want to feel a part of the space. And the thing is, it's not like it's not for profit. You know, I don't think we'll break even for another like five years, probably, or six now, years if we're lucky.
2: We had to acquire some money. Yeah, to, absolutely. <laughs> to and, uh,
3: do what we you know, it's it. not. It's, It's kind of like a labour of love and it's for the community and yeah, so um I think I think the people who come feel that and want to be a part of that. So Mm -hmm.
1: yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. (laughs) So since you guys have been around in the rope scene a bit longer than most people, can you talk to us a bit about how you've seen the evolution in the last ten years in terms of culture and how the rope scene operates?
3: I'm Trying to clear some disk space off the computer, so I'm having to go through all of my photo shoots over the last ten years and clean out all the rubbish ones. Mm-hmm. And what's really funny is, in all those shoots, there's like different uh, places we visited, like yeah. uh, Old London festivals and Moscow North, and like all loads of places around the world. Mm-hmm. um that's not running anymore, like loads of different places, and you yeah. can you can really see the evolution. For one, I think the skill has gotten a lot better.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, and there's different inspiration. Yeah. Some people in some of the, like, some shoots I've gone through, like, people aren't together anymore. Some people have completely left the scene. Um, and then there's tons of new people. So, mm. yeah, what do you think?
2: I think, um, yeah, I think the scene really, really changed. I think there was a lot of ignorance and a complete lack of skill. And... It's amazing to look back now and see people who were regarded as really, really good, who didn't move forward with the times and didn't keep um, trying to educate themselves and didn't keep trying to get better, that they look like, you know, I hate to use the word dinosaurs now, they look old-fashioned. They look like they just, I got to this point where I thought I was really good and then I stopped trying.
1: Yeah, okay.
2: And I think uh, what they found is that a lot of people have just gone past them. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who have come on the scene new, a lot of people who have come on hungry and interested and wanting to push themselves, and they have just gone past them like they weren't moving. Um, And it's sad to see that in some cases uh, because people had the potential to do a lot more than they did. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think they kind of grew to prominence in a vacuum. And then, as soon as the floodgates open of information um, coming over more freely, and more teachers coming over from Japan, and um, mm. more exchange of information, and I mean, now you can fly to Japan for five hundred pounds from England. Mm. It's not like this is so prohibitively expensive you cannot fly to Tokyo and do lessons for a week.
3: Um, Whereas ten years ago. It was harder, I think.
2: Yeah, 10 years ago, I wouldn't even have contemplated it because I just couldn't possibly afford it.
3: And I think as well, like, rope education has, I think the mindset has changed. Like, I think there's more of a growth mindset in that if a floodgate opened right now and there was a whole load of information that we weren't exposed to, I think everyone would be, or a lot of people, would be so excited and motivated by that. And I think maybe years ago, when that happened, like when some of um, you know the Japanese um, people came over, mm. um, some people were threatened by that, maybe, mm. and didn't want to learn from it or, or develop in that way. And kind mm. of, I think now, you know, some people have completely disappeared because of it.
2: Yeah, true. I mean, it was I guess kind of one of those moments was in London when a lot of the Nara Nakakai came over. And how many people was that? Like eight people? <laughs> and basically they, they came into the venue, um, did their shows, and then uh, when there was free tying time, they'd be tying in there as well. And all and I think a lot of people didn't want to tie at the same time as them. Yeah. Or they just wanted to watch them. They would go like two responses. One is like, I don't want to look at this. This is so much above me. And other people going, I really want to look at this because this is so much above me.
3: Yeah. I think it blew a lot of people's minds. Exactly, Um,
2: yeah.
3: And I think the people who had that kind of growth mindset have really excelled and developed and continue to have that mindset aren't like, oh, I'm the the best, I can't possibly learn anymore because I think once you have that attitude, that's when you stop growing, you you won't learn anymore and actually people will surpass you. Yeah. Um, not that it's kind of a competition, yeah. but we're always evolving forever.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah, you, you get it with students as well. You get what I call the two kinds of students, the ones who want to learn, the ones who expect to be taught, if that makes any sense to you. Yeah, and they're but, just two
3: yeah. different mindsets.
2: They are. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah.
3: Yeah, the, like the ones who expect you to come in and tell them exactly A, B, C, D. Yes. And then that's all they'll take from it. And
2: then they'll go to their wherever their, uh, their home place is, and they will do A, B, C, D. Exactly. Yeah. But they won't really understand it because they weren't really interested in that. They were interested in having something impressive looking to do rather than in the emotional yeah. connection. But the ones who really want to learn, they want to understand what's happening.
0: Yeah.
2: They don't want to just be shown a thing. They want to understand it
3: yeah so that right. so a b c d actually opens you up to the entire alphabet
1: and in the same period of time there's been a lot of change in the rope scene uh in the culture of consent and there's been many higher profile incidents around that involving rope uh has that influenced the way you practice or teach rope
3: i think it has yeah yeah i think it depends where we're teaching so mm-hmm. in Countries will be a bit more mindful of it than others. I mean, we always try to be respectful no matter matter what the situation. And we always are open to feedback and we're always growing like how myself and Dave thought 10 years ago has changed completely. And even to two years ago, has changed completely. Yeah,
2: because we have learned to be better teachers as time has gone on. And um, we've learned better techniques for teaching
3: as well. Yeah, it's not just the rope. It's actually engaging people and changing our, our way of teaching so we can have the best learning for students. With certain incidents, I think it makes us more determined to make sure that there's no misunderstandings or confusion that actually were understood like our intentions are understood because so not all but there have been a few that you can kind of see that maybe that incident has come from um, a misunderstanding and then kind of sort of escalated a bit mm-hmm. and I think we're very mindful that we want to be understood right from the beginning like for example when Dave's going teaching a class and he it's on tension who will say I'm going to go around the room and check everyone's tension you know, if that's not okay, please let us know, and then you'll ask individually as well. Yeah. So we'll put that extra effort in based off of other misunderstandings that have happened yeah. because, you know, ultimately we want people to learn.
2: And it depends where you are, yeah. and it depends who the people are in the class because if they've been to your classes several times before and they know how you teach and they know how you operate, you yeah. don't have to keep going, repeating, do you mind if I check this? Do you mind if I check yeah. this? Do you mind yes. if I check this? They know that you will go and check this yeah. because yeah. they're – They're aware of that experience and the fact that you are, you know, you're operating as a teacher, not just.
3: Yeah, and I think as well, like, we've never had an incident Mm. before all these incidents came out either, Mm. and I think that's because you've not been creepy about it. Unless specifically requested.
2: Unless specifically (laughs) requested. I can
1: can be very creepy. There you go, dear. The listeners issue a rigor. That's the, the. Pro tip, don't be creepy unless we ask you to be. <laughs> okay, Clover and Dave, thank you so much. It's been really a pleasure to pick your brain about these topics. Uh, that would be all from us today at the Rope Podcast.
0: So don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from and come find us on our Fat Life page, Rope Podcast.
1: You can also find us easily at ropepodcast.com. We love questions from listeners, so drop us a message on Fet and we'll try to answer you in an upcoming episode.
0: Thanks for listening
1: And have fun tying